I'm going to do a standalone message today. Mothers are worth giving honor to. And it's commanded in scripture. It's the fifth commandment that we honor our fathers and our mothers. And so today I wanted to uh, take some time to look at a passage um, of two mothers in scripture in Genesis chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Well, I know that this day is a delight and special for many ladies, but I also know that this day is also a really difficult day for, for other ladies as, as well. And so as I considered, how can I encourage moms? How can we honor moms and encourage moms and point them to an encouraging truth about who God is this morning. This passage, uh, came to, came to my mind, um, and, and <clears throat> I thought we would all be encouraged by focusing in on who God is, particularly as the God who sees. The God who sees us. And so we're gonna look at a story of two mothers in the Bible. One who, who longed to be a mother, and her heart was aching, Longing to be a mother and she had a promise from God or her husband Abram did Sarai had a promise from God that that they would have children And so we're going to go ahead and, and look at that in Genesis 16 now Sarai Abraham's wife Had born no born him no children And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar And Sarai said to Abram Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong be done, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you, to your embrace, to you, to your embrace. And when you, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they can not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, 
He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Laharuai. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar had bore, Ishmael. Abram, Abram was 86 years old. And Hagar bore Ishmael. When Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God sees and hears and cares for you. And you can trust him to fulfill his good plans for your life. God sees, hears, and cares for you. And you can trust him to fulfill his good plans for your life. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this passage And we consider how you have intervened in history to bring about your good plans for many. May we be impacted with the weight of who you are, with the beauty and the glory of who you are. And may we be in awe and may we be filled with hope and encouragement that you see us, that you are for us. And you're going to finish what you've started in our lives. We are your masterpiece, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're looking at the story of these two mothers. And from these two mothers came forth nations or or, uh, multitudes of people. From from, uh, Hagar, we have the Arab nation. And from Sarai, we have the Hebrews that came from from her. And so throughout history, there's been tension between the two groups. And it all traces back to this particular circumstance here. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. Now, I'd like to just let that sink in for just a moment because there are many ladies who on this particular day feel the pain of that reality in their lives right now. The pain of not being able to bear children. And in this day, in the ancient history, um, it was it was a disgraceful, painful experience, and and for many ladies today, it's a painful experience as well to not be able to have children. And I can imagine that Sarai had lived many years with this sense of calling. I'm supposed to be a mom. Where are my children? And she even got a promise from God or her husband got a promise from God that they would have not just one, but but there would be multitudes that come through them through the child of promise. And so in her pain, she schemed up a plan. She tried to help God out 
in the process. And it says here that she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, first of all, let me just highlight the pain involved in this story and talk just a little bit more about that. There's, we see the pain of barrenness here. And isn't it, isn't it our tendency as human beings that when we're struggling and in pain and we're experiencing circumstances that we don't like, that we try to fix it in some way, relieve the pain, fix the problem, remove the obstacle. And oftentimes we end up creating more pain and more trouble with our human efforts. And so we also see the pain of having children in a not so ideal circumstance. And that's Hagar. Was, there was tension there. I mean, from the beginning, God's plan was one, one, you know, one woman, one man. You know, when you, when you, there's multiple wives involved, usually that's, that's gonna lead to some conflict and some trouble. And so we also see the pain of uh, being looked at with contempt when Hagar had her social status went up a little bit. She went from just being the maidservant to Abraham having a child with Abram. She started to look upon Sarai who couldn't have children with contempt. Maybe there was a, a little bit of pride there or maybe there was, maybe she, she despised and didn't like, uh, what Sarai suggested but nevertheless there was this tension and it just seemed to make matters worse instead of getting better the the tension and the pain began to fester and there was conflict and so this woman hagar was treated unjustly she was treated harshly and then we see the conflict between Sarai and her husband Abram. Isn't, isn't this what happens often when we're struggling, when we're hurting in marriage? That we take it out on our spouses and we start blame shifting. And that's exactly what happened here. It says, Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Doesn't this remind you of Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve? And there was a straying from God's plan, and there was blame shifting, and there was shame, and there was hiding, and, and there was frustration. And Abraham's response was, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And so we see we see what happens here in this story when we try to plan without God. When we when a person leans on their own understanding rather than trusting in God and his goodness and his promises to our lives and trying to help God out, so to speak. The Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in the book of, Agla- in the book of Galatians, and he contrasts uh, he contrasts the um, uh, Hagar and uh, Ishmael and, and Isaac and uh, and makes the connection with with trying to serve God or or trying to advance an agenda apart from God's help. 
And so when we don't include God in our plans and we try to try to make things happen in our own strength, leaning on our own understanding, it just leads to more and more trouble. Now, again, as, as I said that, you know, around motherhood, there are some of the greatest joys experienced in motherhood. And, and at the same time, there are some of the deepest pains experienced in motherhood what a joy it is one to just have children right and then to see those precious children flourish and grow up and experience goodness and experience god's purpose for their lives and experience being a contributor to the family and to community and to society what a joy it is Reminds me of 1st John or 2nd John. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What a great joy it is to have children who are doing the right thing and, and walking in truth. But yet at the same time, how painful and difficult it is when, when, when a, a, a woman can't have children or when a woman does have children, a mother has children. They've been granted children, but those children are far from God. And they're hurting themselves. And they're hurting others. And the pain just perpetuates. What a painful thing. And so I want to encourage you moms here today with the reality that God sees you. God sees you and he cares about you and he hears your cries and he knows where you're at. The angel of the Lord asked Hagar, where, where have you come from and where are you going? I want to ask you that here this morning. Moms, where have you come from and where are you going? And I want to remind you that God knows, God sees, and God wants to direct you into going on the right path. I, when I was 13 years old, watched my own mother experienced the pain of losing a child prematurely. My 10-year-old brother was hit by a car. Two cars were racing down the road and my brother was crossing the street and my 10-year-old brother got hit by a car and died upon impact. And I showed up and with lights flashing, ambulance, fire, fire engine, community surrounded. I showed up to the scene of my mom holding my brother crying with blood everywhere and just watch from that point on my mom just wither and start to slowly die and ache and hurt and try to medicate and try to fix the problem and she became bitter and she became addicted in in this cycle of addiction and darkness just it took root deeper and deeper in her life and my life. And I began to watch her lose her capacity to being a loving, healing presence in the home. To, to somebody who's just trying to cope and just trying to make it from day to day with the, with the weight of the pain that she was carrying around. And that was until we met Jesus. In November, for her, November of, of 1998, and for me, December of 1998, and God took the bitterness 
in our lives and the brokenness of our lives and he turned it into something sweet and he made us whole and he set us free and he's taken our story of redemption and deliverance and we've been able to share that with many others and be be conduits of God's hope and healing to others through what we walk through with God. But my mom came encounter with the God who sees her. And you see, that is so crucial to the healing and the wholeness of any person who's broken, wondering, does anybody see? Does anybody care? This hurts. This is painful. And so I think one of the most powerful things that I can say here this morning is God's name that Hagar gave to God, described God as, you are the God who sees, El Ruah. God saw Hagar and met her in her distress. In verse 13, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God of seeing. For she said, truly, truly here have I seen him who looks after me. Truly here have I seen him who looks after me. May we behold today the one true God, the God of the Bible, the one who sees us, the one who knows us even before we were born. He saw us and he knew our days and he knew what we would be like and the one who formed us in our mother's womb. He's the God who sees. There's a number of scriptures that we can look at to highlight this truth, like 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil whoever keeps whoever's alarm that is god sees no <laughs> god sees us so this week i've done this a couple of times just I, I i went through my text message my text messages and i just just it kind of just randomly just started sending the message god sees you God, and to me, that's an encouraging thing. And I think that's encouraging to those who I send it out to. But there's always somebody who's like, oh, what? What? God, what better stop doing what I'm doing? You know, one response was, am I supposed to be worried about that? You know. Um, and so depending on where we're at, depending on where our heart's at and what we're, we're currently doing, if our conscience is clean, that would uh, either be a... a um, a very affirming and encouraging reality or a motivating, a convicting and motivating reality to move towards doing what's right. God's eyes are in every place. Kind of reminds me of mamas, how you can't get much, <laughs> you can't get much past mama, right? She sees, like the, mom has eyes in the back of her head, it's, it's said, right? They, they know what's going on. There's this intuition that a mother has, like when you walk in the room and they sense if something's wrong, like you're not being yourself, right? And that's how God is. 
He's a God who sees us and knows us and hears us. And he cares about us. Psalm 33 verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So God sees, and we also see in this story that God hears. Verse 11 says, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. I love this. I love, I love how God meets her, sees her. And even the name Ishmael means God hears. So so the author of, of the book of Genesis is wanting us to get a revelation, a glimpse of who God is. Namely, that he is a God who sees us and a God who hears us. And that implies that he cares as well. It's not an indifferent seeing and hearing. It's a loving, watchful eye that is over each one of our lives and everything that we experience in this life. Is filtered through him before we experience it. He sees and he knows and he hears. And for those who've experienced mistreatment and abuse, and you feel like nobody knows and nobody hears or nobody cares, I want to tell you this morning that God knows, God sees, and God cares. God is your defender. God will take revenge. God will defend your cause. God says, vengeance is mine. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to, you don't have to take matters into your own hands and get revenge. God is a God of justice. I'm reminded as we, we think about this reality, I'm reminded of these powerful verses in Exodus chapter 2. When the Israelites had been in slavery for hundreds of years in Egypt. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came. Their cry from rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He remembered. He saw. He knew. He heard. He remembered. He saw. And he knew. That was true of them. And that is true of me and you. God sees. God hears. Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. You see, we all need this. From early age, we see children need this. I mean, moms, how many times have you heard your children say, Mom, look. Mom, look. Mom, look at me. Look at this. Mom, look. They want your attention and it feels like 24-7. They want your attention. Mom, look. 
Because God has made us relational beings. He's made us in his image. He's designed us to be in relationship, to be known. And to be known and to know in relationship, there has to be seeing and hearing. We have to give our attention to somebody, look them in the eyes, turn our ears to hear them. And when we do that in a caring, loving way, don't we, don't you feel loved by those who do that in a loving, caring way? Isn't it healing? Isn't that what we so need today in this distracted culture where so many have a hard time paying attention to anyone? Most FaceTime we get is through a screen. Unfortunately, for many folks. Right? And God's wired us to be in proximity of one another, to know and be known, to, to see and be seen, and not only be known, but to be accepted as we are and loved as we are. And it brings healing and wholeness to a person who experiences that kind of love, that kind of relationship of being seen and heard and known. I mean, isn't that why people pay so much for counseling? Because they, they, they want and need somebody who will listen well and not be too quick to give the uh, quick pat fix, quick fix it answers. Like to hear out the pain and the struggle and so let me get it out. And help me ask some good questions. Help me work through it so I can understand what's going on. Don't just tell me. Help me. Listen to me. Husbands, this is important for us. This is one of the most practical ways I can encourage you, encourage myself, exhort you and exhort myself to serve our spouses, our wives. It's to give them our undivided attention, to listen, to be quick to listen, and slow to speak, slow to become angry, listen with love, listen with intent to hear their heart, to know them, not to just assume, well, I know them, I've been married to them for 40 years. Listen with the intent to to know their heart, to, to feel what they're feeling. That's God hears our, our cries. And God sees us. And lastly, God knows and cares for us. Now, that that's implied in this story. We see God's tender care in the life of Hagar and uh, in the life of Sarah. God eventually did fulfill his plans in giving Sarah a child and ultimately her mishap or her uh, her plan that didn't seem to work so well. Ultimately, that didn't frustrate God's original plan. God's plan, God's ultimate plan came to fruition. fruition. Oftentimes, we, we, we add trouble and pain to our lives when we try to help God out and lean on our own understanding. But, but God is committed to filling His good plans and His good purposes in the world and in our lives. David so powerfully and eloquently celebrated this truth about the God who sees and the God who knows us. Let me just read these words to you from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. 
You know, you know my thoughts even when I'm afar. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm, what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings in the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. And darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your worksmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They are out, they outnumber the grain, the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, David says. David is celebrating the omniscient God, the God who's omniscient, The God who is everywhere, that there's no place that we can run and hide from God, that we won't get away from Him. There's no way we can get away from Him. There's no way we can outrun Him. And we see in the story with Hagar, she was running from difficult circumstances. And God met her. God saw her. And God sees you and me. And his thoughts towards us are precious thoughts. They're not condemning thoughts, shaming thoughts. His thoughts towards us are precious. His plans towards us are to give us a future and a hope. They're good thoughts. So what difference does it make to know the God who sees us? What difference does it make? There's seven things that I want to point out that this is how it should make a difference in our lives when we know the God who sees us. And, and by the way, I want to encourage, if you've never done this before, I want to encourage you to do a study on the names of God, the names and the titles of God. I remember the first time that this particular name of God sunk in and impacted me. I was listening to Christian radio and there was a Bible teacher on there named K. Arthur. And she was teaching through the names of God. And it was this particular one. And she shared the story of Hagar. And it just impacted me. And no doubt I felt like God saw me and met me right there in my truck that I was driving while I was working. 
And no doubt through, throughout my history with God, there's been many times when God has met me and reminded me that he sees me. And I'm sure you've experienced the same thing in many ways, whether it was an act of kindness from a friend, a brother or sister in Christ in the timing of a text or a phone call or a meal or some act of kindness just met you in that moment when you just needed somebody to reach out and express some love and you felt seen. You felt cared for. God met you. Or maybe it was an encouraging word or a prophetic word where that somebody spoke over your life. Maybe somebody doesn't even know you that well. Oftentimes what I've seen happen when those, those circum, when, when somebody feels seen like that and cared for by God through, through people often is they they just break in tears. It's overwhelming. They become sweetly broken. Like, God, you see me. I'm not just doing this on my own. I'm not by myself. So what difference does it make when we know the God who sees us? We will trust the God who sees us and plan with him. Psalm 9, 9 and 10 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. I love this. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. You see, in, 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 in the Bible, names are important and have meaning, right? Especially when we look at the names of God. When God reveals himself in the scripture and he has a title or a name, it's so that we can get a glimpse of who he is. Right? And we do this with nicknames too, right? Shorty. Um, Sparkles. <laughs> uh, Harry. Uh, uh, what? Uh, I mean, we do this with nicknames too. We we name people that have some kind of connection with that name, right? It, it gives some insight to who they are or uh, it highlights that. And that's true about God. And as we read the scripture and we learn the different names of God, we, we learn more about the attributes of God, who God is at the core. And from that, he operates and he does things and he says things and he makes promises, that are consistent with his character. I love that about God. His works, his actions are consistent with his character and his attributes. And those who know his name put their trust in him. And this is what, what the author of, of Genesis wants us to get. This is what God wants us to get from Genesis 6. That we can trust God in our circumstances to bring about his good plans for our lives. I mean, that's, that's this whole story of Abraham and Sarah and trusting God. They're examples of faith. And though they had this little mishap or this, 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 they, though they embraced this plan that wasn't authorized by God, God still describes them and characterizes them, characterizes them in the New Testament as people of faith. Hebrews 11. They both made Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, right? Sarah, Sarah, and God changed their name, right? Sarai to Sarah, mother of multitude, right? Abram to 
Abraham, father of many nations, right? And so it, it's crazy. It's, it's, it must have been painful and ironic to have a name to be uh, mother or father, but can't not be able to have children. And then to have that name changed, like not just children, but lots of them, right? And God came through on his promises, for them and they trusted God they gave glory to God but they had their they they had their own struggles they had their own failures and in spite of that God worked to bring about his good plans and that just reminds reminds us that God is the hero of the bible as we read through these characters of the bible and we while there's examples to emulate to follow and to honor ultimately God's the hero in the story it all points to him and today we're looking at the God who sees. What difference does it make? We find comfort in our difficult days when we encounter the God who sees us. We find courage and resolve to face difficult circumstances rather than running from them. What was Hagar doing when God met her in her distress? She was running from a difficult circumstance where she was harshly and unjustly treated. And the Lord says, go back and submit. Like, how could she do that? Why would she do that? Because God sees her. And God said to do that. And God promised a hope for her. That God would bless this child. Ishmael. We also will be motivated to make right decisions in life and in our relationships when we know the God who sees us. We will experience joy and contentment in God. We will, we will be moved to worship God. See, the attributes of God, as we see them in scripture, and we experience God acting in accordance with who he is, are, those attributes are fuel to our worship. As leading worship for, for many years, that's one of the things that I've latched onto when we're singing songs about God. So this morning, it was the goodness of God. That was a theme, right? There's a number of scriptures that declare God is good and express and describe ways that God manifests his goodness, like providing for us, protecting us, delivering us, guiding us. And ultimately we see God's goodness in sending his son Jesus to rescue us from our sins. And so we're moved to worship God. And lastly, we experience the freedom from, from always seeking to be seen by others. Always seeking to be seen by others. There's a typo there. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You see, when you don't know the God who sees you and have an intimate relationship with him, you're going to do your religion all out here. It's going to be all external. 
But when you know the God who sees you, you're going to be content with silence and solitude and just spending chunks of time with him because it's his eyes that you're most concerned about and that you know that you most need is his attention and time with him. The Pharisees and religious leaders of their day practiced their piety, their devotion to be seen by others. They're praying, they're fasting, and they're giving. But Jesus taught a better way, and he modeled a better way. He lived before us a better way. That is to live before the eyes of the Father, whose opinion and thoughts Judgment counts more than anyone's el- anyone else. He says, but when you pray, go into your room sh- and shut the door and pray to your father who is in the secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you, will reward you. Let that sink in for a moment. Your father who's in the secret, who sees you in secret will reward you. God sees you. Jesus is telling us that. The Father sees you. It's okay. It's good to be alone with Him and pour out your heart to Him. God sees you. When we do this, we experience healing and wholeness. We find hope. We find strength to carry on. Let me close in a couple points of application here. Know that God sees you and cares for you and reflect on this often, especially in times of difficulty. Remind yourself. Remember, be assured that God sees you. You can labor faithfully in obscurity. Before the eyes of God, even when you don't get recognition or a pat on the back or good job from your co-workers, from your family members, from anyone else. You have the eyes of God and the affirmation of God directed towards you. And that's enough. That's enough. Trust that God will bring about his good plans for you. And avoid making plans without God. Trust that he will bring about his good plans for you and avoid making plans without God. David said in Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Next, take responsibility when you fail to follow God's plan and avoid blaming others for the painful result. See, when we stray, there's going to be painful consequences in straying. And we have to take responsibility and confess, it's my fault. I made the wrong decision. I planned, I didn't pray. I didn't trust you, God. I didn't even ask. I mean, how many, I, I get convicted about this too often. How many plans, decisions do I make? Without just stopping and pausing and praying, God, what do you want me to do here? I mean, there's so many things where I just feel like I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm a grown man. I know how to make a decision. Right? 
And oftentimes that gets us in trouble. I know how to, I know what to say to this person in this situation. And the Bible teaches us that we are to look to God for wisdom, to look to Him for guidance. We're to keep in step with the Spirit. And lastly, seek to know who God is and what He has planned for your life. Instead of just making plans without God and failing to ask God and invite Him into your plans. Especially, mamas, mamas, y'all are planners. You are planners, right? Kids ask, mom, where are we going today? Mom, what are we going to eat today? Mom, what do I wear today? Like just by nature, you you plan, you have to. And God wants you to invite him in your plans. I'm reminded of Susanna Wesley, who had lots of kids. I think over a dozen. Was, I think it was in the teens. She had how many? 19. Thank you, Cindy. She had 19 kids. Okay. Now, she lost some kids too, by the way. That's not all that she had. There were, she had 19 living kids at one point, right? But there were others that didn't make it. Now, just think about that. If you had 19 kids to care for, how are you going to spend quiet time with God? How are you going to get into the secret place to be seen by the Father in secret? Because you're just going to have kids tugging on you, making all kinds of noise. You know how she did it? She pulled her apron over her head. Whenever she pulled her apron over her head, she was praying. She was having her quiet time. She was going into her prayer closet. That's what she had. And the kids knew, leave mama alone when she has her apron over her head because she is praying. All right. And so, ladies, I just want to encourage you to do the same. If you can have 19 kids, go for it. No, I'm just kidding. Pull your apron over your... Well, well, find a quiet place. <laughs> find a quiet place. Find a quiet place. Take a walk for your mental health, your emotional health. You know, if you feel unstable emotionally, you're all worked up, you're flustered, you need quiet time and you need to be with the God who sees you alone with just him. If you can get that, dads, do what you can to give that space for your spouse, for your wife to get that time to pray, to go to a coffee shop, just to, to get refreshed and get filled up so that she can continue to give out. Those of us who are giving out the most, and just pouring out, pouring out, giving out. And mamas do that consistently. Just It's constant giving, 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 giving. The more you're giving out, the more you need to get replenished. The more you need to get filled up. Otherwise, you're going to start running on empty. You're going to get hangry. You're going to get cranky. And sweet mama won't be so sweet anymore. And you're most beautiful when you're kind. And you're gracious. And you're patient. And you're loving. That's how you want your kids to remember you as God's character being displayed through your life. The fruit of the spirit instead of human effort. We're going to do this. I'm going to make this happen in my strength, my leaning on my understanding. That's going to produce frustration, irritation, conflict. 
but following the Spirit and being much with God, pouring your heart out to God, He's going to fill you up and you're going to overflow and be able to continue to give to your children sufficiently and find the grace that you need, the strength to meet you in your weakness. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you the gift of closing early this morning before 12 o'clock. We'll see if Kevin will follow up with that as well. But we would like to pray for any moms who are weary and discouraged here this morning are hurting or maybe maybe those who ladies who desire to be moms and are hurting this morning are struggling um, if you want prayer as Kevin leads us uh, in this song um, just raise your hand we, we'd love to just come around you and pray for you and speak words of life over you and be instruments of God to remind you that he sees you and he cares for you. He's for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you?